Hey, everyone, this is Tom Salami. Welcome back to the MedTech Talk podcast, episode number 123. Got a lot to squeeze into this uh, introduction, so please bear with me. Number one, of course, happy to have our guest, John Norris of Silicon Valley Bank, on the show. John and I will talk about Silicon Valley Bank's report, the Trends in Healthcare Investments and Exits 2019 report. It uh, is issued, it's online. I have uh, included the URL in the podcast description, but you can also uh, go and Google uh, SVB Trends in Healthcare Investments, and I'm sure it'll pop up. Definitely worth a look. Graphic rich, full of information. John and I will cover a lot of the high points in the conversation today, but there's uh, a ton more that I did not get to and uh, did not want to ask about because it's a data thing and you should uh, really take a look. So make sure you uh, download that. Before I get into that conversation, though, a few notes about the upcoming MedTech conference, which is happening on May 30th. Remember, the conference itself is on May 30th, but on May 29th, we'll have an opening reception. This is the first time we're doing this, so come in early, come to Minneapolis early, enjoy several hours of networking the day before the MedTech conference, and then when May 30th starts, you can uh, really hit the ground running. We've got a lot of uh, great panels and discussions set up for you, including, I'm happy to announce, a keynote interview with Kevin Lobo of Stryker. Very happy to have uh, Kevin Lobo on the uh, on the stage. We've been uh, asking him to attend for the last couple of years, and schedules have never permitted it. But we have Kevin Lobo and, of course, Ashley McAvoy of Johnson & Johnson. We announced that last week. So we have two great anchors to uh, what's really shaping up to be a fantastic day, thanks to the efforts of our advisory board and our co-chairs, Leslie Trigg of Outset and Kirk Nielsen of Verson. So it will be a terrific day. You should be there and you should register soon because our early bird registration rate is expiring. If you register before January 30th, you'll uh, you'll save $500 off the uh, registration fee, which is uh, a good savings, $9.95. So I wouldn't wait if I were you. It will be a great day. You will want to be there. You will register eventually. So uh, just get it out of the way. Get it done now. Go to medtechconference.com. And register, and uh, you can get an in for nine ninety five. And uh, here's a little tip: if you use the MedTech Talk code, you'll save a little bit more money. So get that done soon. You will have a a great day of networking and information for a very low and reasonable price. Now uh, let's get into this conversation with John Norris. As I mentioned at the top, we covered a lot of high points about MedTech. John knows his stuff, and I know you will enjoy this conversation. Well, John Norris, welcome back to the MedTech Talk podcast. Thanks, Tom. Great to be here. We had you on about a year ago for this very same reason to go over your annual report. And we uh, we already covered your your origin story a year ago. I think you were bitten by a radioactive PowerPoint presentation or something, right? Give you these, these data, <laughs> That's right. data superpowers that you're now going to display for us. But before we get into the, the, the meat of the report, let's uh, get a quick overview of, of what is the report Give us a little background on how this data is compiled. Right. So the report uh, really is is intended to be used by the industry to get a sense of what's going on in the market, specifically the venture-backed healthcare market. I came up with this idea that we needed to go a little bit more in depth on the venture side in in the in the late 2000s, around 2008 or 9. You know, as things were kind of bad on the investment side at that point, and was trying to figure out how to best inform folks as to as to what are the trends and and what's going on both on the investing and the exit activity within our specific sector. And so that kind of was the the genesis of the report. And what we do is we sort of track two different um, yeah 
pieces of information that we think are sort of central to both investors and the, the C-suite at companies. One is, is investment information. Who's making those investments? Where are they making it? How much are they investing? And who are the most active folks? And that data comes from PitchBook. We leverage that data fairly, uh, fairly heartily from those folks. And what we do is uh, we grab all that information and then we categorize it by sector, either biopharma, medical device, or tools and diagnostics. And then within each of those sectors, we dive deep into indication. So it's, it really provides a lot, of, a lot of actionable data around the different types of indications that are receiving the financings and the venture firms that are making new investments. So that's the other part of the investment side is we like to look at who's actually making new investments in the sector so that um, investors that are looking for syndication partners know who's active. And then obviously the companies who are looking for funding has a, have a, has a great start for an analysis on which investors are out there and actively putting money to work. And then the second part really is, is the exit side. And that's where we track venture-backed private M&A and also the venture-backed IPOs that we see in the market. And you know, the idea being, let's figure out what's, what sort of structures are we seeing in these M&A deals? How much is being paid up front? How much is in milestone? What's the, the uh, development um, life cycle of that company? Is it early stage, development stage? Does it have any sort of uh, FDA clearances? Is it a commercial company? And then, how, and then what's, what is the, the overall deal value and how does that look as, a, as sort of a multiple to capital invested? So we really go out of our way to, to try and provide some in-depth analysis on that. So also by sector, uh, so that folks get a sense of of what type of activity is, as could be potential comps as they think about their company. And then finally, on the IPO side, we track that. Any IPOs over $25 million um, that are venture-backed and sort of do an analysis of what's the pre-money valuation and how much did the company raise in its IPO? Because those are two key metrics that a lot of folks focus on for you know, the, the sector. So the idea being, let's provide directionally relevant information uh, for the investor and the and the companies that are operating in the healthcare industry, and and hopefully you know that helps arm those folks with more information to enable them make uh, uh, decisions on on how how their company grows. Great, it's definitely one stop shopping. And as I mentioned in the uh, intro, the name of the report is Trends in Healthcare Investments and Exits in 2019. We will have uh, a link up to the uh, presentation on the podcast website, and it's a, it's a it's a very data-rich, very graphic-rich report, so it doesn't necessarily lend itself to uh, a podcast discussion because the, the the I think our words won't do the graphics uh, justice. But let's uh, just delve into some of the uh, I think more interesting elements of the report, and I encourage everyone to to download it and take a look themselves. But I sort of wanted to just start off with with geographies. People always seem to enjoy. Seeing where the deal geographically on the map of the U.S. and in Europe, there's a, a Europe, uh, several European countries are listed as well, where the deals are being done. So looking at, I'm a Boston guy, so I'm going to look there first. And it looks like just as in the Super Bowl, the Southern California and Massachusetts really kind of have a, uh, a head-to-head thing going on in terms of number of deals uh, and, and almost dollars invested. Uh, they they remain uh, second and third in deals with Northern California, number one. Do you see any sort of uh, 
upset or, or change in, in where medical device deals are being done? I really don't think so. Um, for me, it feels like uh, a lot of these deals are aggregated in places that have had uh, one, either uh, major investors that call that location home, or two, you've had successful exits in the past that have really developed that entrepreneurial as well as sort of the staffing capability for um, a go-forward medical device startup company. And, and in a perfect world, you have both. And so I think you know, seeing Northern California leading the charge really is not that, um, it's, it's not surprising. Um, Boston and, and Southern California as sort of co-number twos, again, uh, that, that seems uh, to be what we've seen over, over the past uh, while. It'll be interesting to see if I, if I had to sort of think about when you think about sort of three and four and who else could be in there, you know, we, we certainly have seen a, an up, upsized uh, amount of deal flow coming in from New York, especially on biopharma, and, but also on, on tools and diagnostics and just in the digital health se sector. So it wouldn't surprise me to maybe see those folks uh, leap onto the screen at some point. But, but for now, it feels like it really is sort of these these top uh, top five investors or top five regions in the U.S. We'll talk about Minneapolis in a moment because, of course, that's where the MedTech Conference will be on May 30th, and, and you'll be joining us there to give us your uh, excellent data overview. Thank you very much. But uh, it was uh, interesting that of the Series A's done, it seems like Northern California had twenty reported 23 Series A, which is more than Washington, Minneapolis, Massachusetts, and Southern California combined. So, it really is the the medtech episode epicenter. There is never really a question, but this kind of just puts a big exclamation point on that. I will say, when you do look at Washington and Minnesota, you do see some pretty significant deal activity activity with you know twenty million dollar plus deals. You saw a couple in Minnesota in two thousand eighteen with Eurotronic and Relevant Med Systems, and then I think in Washington there were three Endogastic Solutions, Impel Neuroscience, and Cardiac Dimensions. So. You do see some of these companies that are getting up to scale and, and, and raising some significantly large rounds. What you don't see is uh, investors willing to do significant Series A in those, in those areas. And just looking quickly at Europe, I think if you combine the deals in UK, France, and Belgium, it would probably put it right on par with Massachusetts and Southern California in terms of deals done and dollars invested. Um, but I don't see a Series A listing for the UK. Is, is that... Uh, 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 are any of those deals that you have identified there, are they Series A or are we just not seeing any Series A's done in Europe? When we look at the deals, um, our categorization of what a Series A company is, it was the first round of institutional investment for at least uh, $2 million or if they just raised $2 million or more in equity and it's the first round, we characterize that as a Series A uh, investment. So, yeah, we're really just not seeing much activity out of Europe right now. And so, yeah, the yeah the, the unfortunate part is we're not seeing a lot of Series A in that area. Let's see. We'll, you know, we'll get into European investors in a, in a minute because they do, they do play a considerable role in, in the investments. But uh, well, final question, I mean, are there any, you mentioned New York for, for biopharma, we're seeing an emergence there, but are there any cities in the U.S. device-wise that perhaps just fell under the reporting radar that we may see emerge in the next couple of years? I mean, I guess I'm thinking about Austin or, I don't know, Pennsylvania or any other emerging med tech hubs? 
Yeah, I would I would say, you know, both those areas are are interesting areas. Certainly Pennsylvania has a lot of really early stage uh, investment there. And we'll see sort of if that if that translates to some bigger companies raising larger amounts and staying in that area. And then you know, Austin, as well as Houston, you, know, you have J Labs out there as well. Um, and it, it feels like there's a lot more focus on the device arena in the, in that area. And you do have some venture firms that are out there that can be supportive in the early stage investing aspects like Sante. So I do, I do feel like that also could be an area where we'll see a lot more activity in the, in the coming years. Next, let's just talk about investors. What firms are doing the, the investing? The group that made the number, the highest number of deals, the largest number of deals was Kiritsu Forum which is kind of more of a, a, an angel group, I guess. Is that how you would define it? Yeah. And I think, you know, actually, if you look at the first two groups, uh, Karitsu Forum and FundRx, those are, they're, they're both you know, sort of a either angel group or sort of crowdsourced uh, uh, focused funds that have some, on the FundRx side, you have, have some folks who, who know a lot about device as well as other sectors that are kind of running and overseeing um, that that crowdsourcing uh, function, but I think what you're you're seeing is that the traditional venture folks, it's hard to take that risk on the early stage side because when we do talk about the exits, it takes it takes quite a bit of time, and the, the folks really have to have to decide that they want to to play for the long term um, and start at Series A. But what we've found over the last few years is that it's a lot easier to look to get into that Series B or Series C. Um, and, and frankly, you, obviously your IRR tick, uh, clock is ticking a little bit, uh, later if you wait until those companies come back to the market. And I think when you, one, one thing that you do notice maybe as a difference from biopharma in biopharma, if you don't get into the series A, you really can't get into that, uh, company, at least in terms of where we are right now, because the crossovers jump in in that series B and they up the, the pre-money or the, po- the pre-money valuation and, and you're thinking about IPO, et cetera. And I don't think we're quite in that same, um, world for medical device where I think the venture folks consider that, you know, a lot of these companies that they really like that are really early stage, they will see again. And so it really, it's, it's harder for, uh, those companies to get the traditional folks to pull the trigger on on Series A. Hey everyone, this is Tom. Going to take a quick break from this conversation to uh, mention two things about the MedTech Conference. Number one, I mentioned up top the MedTech Talk code. If you do use that, you'll save two hundred dollars off the discounted price. So we're talking about getting you in the door for seven ninety five. So you are a loyal MedTech Talk listener. You've listened this far. Great to have you as part of the podcast. And now you can be part of the MedTech Conference itself for just seven ninety five. So please. Please register before January 30th. We'd love to see you in the room. Second, I had a chance to uh, meet with Leslie Trigg at J.P. Morgan. We talked a bit about uh, MedTech, about Outset. But I also asked her, I kind of turned the tables and asked her, what does she like about med- about conferences? What really is a, an important quality in a conference to her? Here's what she said. I, I've attended a lot of conferences. I've listened to a lot of panels, as, as we all have. I think what always captures my attention in a panel and holds my attention is candor. Um, panelists who are really willing to talk not only about the good, but also the bad and the ugly, and be really transparent and, I guess, a little bit vulnerable about what they did and why they wouldn't do it again. And panelists who aren't afraid to be provocative and to get uh, the members of the audience to challenge their own thinking um, and um, think about the viability of 
of ideas that um, may or may not have been evident to them in the past. That, that's what I look for in a, in a really good panel. All right, great thoughts from Leslie. No doubt we will have lots of candor on May 30th at the MedTech Conference. Now let's get back into this conversation. So people are always curious as to what firms are making Series A deals, and you have a complete list of them here in the report. So I do encourage people to uh, to download it. We talked about Karitsu and FundRx. We see some uh, familiar names, Emergent Medical Partners, that's Tom Fogarty's uh, SV Tech Ventures in Boston, and then some names that uh, that I don't really recognize, I think, because they're not uh, U.S.-based, but uh, they also just uh, – don't tend to, 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 I guess, appear in those higher profile, later stage deals. Can you talk a bit about some of the other entities that are doing uh, Series A deals? Yeah, and I, I think um, on on the early stage side, yes, I think you're seeing some some new folks that are that are entering the arena. Um, especially on the later stage, though, you're seeing what I see as a really good sign of. One, you're seeing some alternative sources of capital come in, and by that I mean either uh, crossover investors who are looking to sort of get a foothold in a company uh, pre-potential IPO, or what we're also seeing is some family offices like the KCKs of the world and the Richard King Mellon Foundations that are getting involved in these later stage deals that not they weren't necessarily around five years ago. So I think on the early stage side, it's still a little bit of a hit and miss, and it's and it's really hard to find uh, folks who have done a substantial number of Series A, but a lot of folks that have done one or two. Um, or even three on, on this list, as it as, as it's noted. But it's it is it's a challenge. But once you do get that Series A, I think the availability for the next round and the ability to actually have a substantial round that could help fund you know either pivotal clinical trials and or um, a, a a major commercialization ramp, that capital is out there. So that's sort of the the good news, bad news on the investor side. And another entity is uh, is Brilliant Medical International, which appears to be a uh, a firm that has uh, is backed by clinical doctors and and medical device industry veterans. So it sounds almost like another uh, really uber uber super angel group that's uh, really making a mark in medtech. Absolutely, uh, and again, I think what you're what you're finding is the smaller firms with uh, almost sort of the angel investor early stage focus are the folks that are taking the chances on on early stage deals and again the uh, these the institutional folks are are uh happy to engage and give folks guidance but are looking to invest um later later in 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 the series b or or series c and we talked a bit about europe earlier on the number of investments in europe but what what was interesting or what i found interesting is is a number of the 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 most prolific investors in device uh, deals last year were in were European investors. We're talking about Endeavor Vision, of course, Gildi, uh, ID Invest Partners, and previously mentioned Shangbei. Uh, are, are they finding just more? Uh, I, I, I don't know if you did a uh, comparison as to where the European funds are investing, but it seems as if they're really uh, committed to to investing in in U.S. medical tech companies, med tech companies, because they they rank so high on the list. Yeah. Other than um, ID Invest, I think the the rest of the folks are are very active in the U.S. And I think you know you could probably you could add Sofinova Partners, which is a European firm. They're not on the list, but they have done a significant number of medical device investments over time, especially in the U.S. And I think you know that. Uh, when you when you do look at the opportunity in in medical device and you try and compare it again to to biopharma just to just because those are two 
of the, the three sectors we cover, and even on the tools and diagnostics side, what you are finding is overall the, the valuations on the device side are, are lower than what we've seen in the other two categories. And the, the, the pools of capital are just not as big. And so it's, it's a great time to be a late stage med tech investor out there because you know, these companies have worked so hard to sort of get through that chasm of, of getting their series A and then get into their, their development uh, uh, milestones in order to get them out to do their series B or their series C. And they're getting, they're getting rewarded for it. They're not necessarily getting the huge uh, valuation inflection that you're getting in biopharma because the IPO market isn't quite as strong as you see in biopharma. But you know, there's great opportunity for, for device folks to get in and, and support these companies. And I think when you look at the crop of these really interesting later stage companies, I think we're really in, in store for a, a, great, a great number of IPOs and exits over the next couple of years that, that should continue um, to, to, to spur you know, innovation in the device sector. So I'm pretty, I'm pretty excited overall when you think about sort of the investment sector and, and where the opportunities are. That's great. I do want to get into exits in a moment, but just wrapping up with uh, with investors. Uh, I didn't mention earlier NEA uh, was an active investor. It seems more in the in the Series B stage. Uh, Lightstone, another very familiar name. Uh, see them as a as a as a busy investor with uh, both NEA and, and Lightstone have four, uh, and then some interesting new firms. I think or rel- relatively new firms like the Visionary Venture Fund that uh, is focused on ophthalmology, and ophthalmology is an area that. Uh, actually saw a, a significant increase in deals this year. So it's, uh, it's, it's nice to see the familiar firms uh, still making investments and the new players come in. Absolutely. And finally, let's just hit upon the corporates. Uh, Boston Scientific uh, had registered with five deals, so it was the most prolific uh, corporate investor. But uh, overall, how busy have the corporates been in making an investments? It feels as though corporates uh, have not been as as busy as we've seen in the past, and I think um, also not as early stage focused as we saw maybe you know five years ago or so. And I and I think that that you know again is is a function of yeah the, the the corporates trying to figure out what what the best strategy is for engaging and working with companies on the equity side and i think you know we haven't seen medtronic do do much on the investment side and or the acquisition side in in a in a few years and so it is it is good to see the the corporates out there i just think that um it, it feels as though overall the the corporate venture investment landscape is just a little bit in flux as as folks figure out the best way to engage and work with uh, early stage companies, I'd like to think that it's on the upswing and we'll see a lot more Series A. But it's really hard to tell at this point. But we're certainly hopeful. I didn't ask at the at the top of the podcast, but uh, how did MedTech do overall in this the number of deals done compared to uh, to 2017? So the the one thing that was was interesting to me is overall you saw. Um, Dollars invested by companies uh, that increased by fifty by more than fifty percent from 2017 to 18. If you're just looking at U.S. and Europe, and biopharma really it was the big push. They basically doubled the amount invested from eight and a half billion to over sixteen billion in 2018. 
And DX and tools were pretty stable, but it was interesting to see device actually grew significantly, about 40% from right around $3 billion in 2017 to, uh, to over $4 billion in 2018. So it was, it was good to see um, that, that we're seeing some growth in the device sector. Uh, and actually, you know, I was, I was pleasantly surprised because typically, uh, when you see some of the other data that comes out from other sources, a lot of times the, the DX and tools companies get mixed into biopharma and device. So it's really hard to get a good sense of where, where the activity is. So this was really the first year that we spent a lot of time going through every single deal in the US and Europe and trying to categorize it between the three sectors. So to us, it felt like it was it was sort of vindicating the idea that yes, device is seeing a lot more activity and a lot more dollars going in, and we were able to back it up with the actual data. So yeah, we're feeling pretty good about the amount of capital that's being invested into medical device right now. And, and I'm, I'm kind of... Th- People should know I'm just really throwing things at you. So you're doing a great job in keeping, keeping things up. It's all up. good. Uh, but I just, I, I find like a lot of the, the most interesting facts are, are, the graphs are great, but it's always the box at the, at the bottom of the graphs that kind of, uh, catch my interest. Like, uh, in the, uh, the chart that says investors target late stage cardiovascular neuro deals. And this is device investments 2017, 2018. It says in the last two years, 78% of investments went to later stage deals, series B plus. With many raising commercialization rounds post FDA approval, so I mean that just uh, and, and you've got a list of all, a lot of the big deals. I mean, the, to your point earlier, it just really demonstrates how this uh, this sector is maturing. It is, and I think um, you know there's there's good and bad with that, and I think the fact that a lot of these companies are into revenue and ramping is great. But you also, I think on the other other end, you say, well, how long has it taken them to get to that point? And I think that's been one of the reasons why maybe some of these uh, traditional investors are not as active on the Series A right now. But it is exciting. And it's exciting to see because these companies are raising commercialization rounds. They're raising them at decent valuations that when you actually do look at 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 the comps that are out there, you know, there's a there's a, a number of companies that potentially could be primed for an IPO in the next year or so, and uh, and there's just a, a, another part of the equation is the really interesting amount of capital that's going into sort of the sur- surgical robotics arena, um, and you're seeing a lot of big big deals uh, being invested. Uh, or big dollars being invested in some of these deals. And I think that is a really interesting area that is unique because there is, there is a lot of technology advancement that's going on and trying to, to match the robotics advancement with procedures, with potentially doing things, you know, outside of, uh, in different locations, I think makes for a really intriguing area that has really high growth potential. Absolutely, and uh, as we're as we're talking, or at least a few hours ago, Bloomberg had uh, hinted that J and J might be looking to buy Aura Surgical. So uh, that that continues to get hot. Yeah, I know. And let's move into M and A and exits because you've got a lot of great data here, and uh, we can't go over it all. So again, I do encourage people to download the uh, the report. But uh, again, one of the items from the little box on the side that caught my eye, Boston Scientific led M&A acquiring seven venture-backed companies in 2018. We're going to be highlighting Boston Scientific uh, at the MedTech conference and the number of deals they're doing. So that this fits nicely into that. But what's up with that? <laughs> that's a lot of deals by one company. That's, that's great. Good for Boston. 
It is. And I think, yeah, we, we have seen them uh, over the last few years continue to be fairly active investors. And I can't speak for Boston. All I can do is sort of look at the data and try and, and read the tea leaves. But it does feel like when you look at Medtronic and Abbott sort of getting out of the game from the venture back device acquisition side, that it sort of left it as a, as a greenfield for other folks who wanted to jump in and make, and make some plays. And I think what that's maybe what you're seeing from Boston right now, where you know, they can get some really interesting, exciting technologies that are great opportunities to, to grow existing product lines or, or go into some white spaces um, at, at potentially uh prices that are not as competitive as if we had a ton of uh, device acquirers circling you know, the, the, the venture-backed uh, companies out in the market. And so I think they're seeing this as an opportunity to sort of retool and find some absolutely you know, really exciting technologies for them at, at a point where it's less competition than we've seen in a while. So you know, I'm, I'm excited to see that. Um, I'm also excited to see when you actually do look at the the mix of invest of acquirers, you still do have a number of folks who have made multiple acquisitions over the last few years. But yeah, seven seven deals is is definitely noteworthy this year for Boston. And I just want to hit upon two more points. Uh, talk about the slide. It's well, I don't need to give you the title, but you, you're you're tracking the number of quote unquote big exits, and and you had 15 big exits in. Uh, Actually, no, there's more. 19 big exits in 2018 versus only 14 in 2017. Um, what is a big exit and, and what, does it, what does the increase of those big exits represent? I categorize a big exit as a venture-backed private company that gets acquired for at least $50 million up front. And that $50 million number is really just a line drawn in the sand. I mean, you have to sort of draw the line somewhere. And, you know, when you think about the amount of capital that's typically invested into a device company, you know, the $50 million upfront sort of represents um, what you would say is sort of the, at least at the, at, at face value, a, a good exit for a company potentially. So that was sort of the, the line in the sand. So we track anything that has a $50 million or or better upfront payment. And the fact that we did see a little bit of a decline in 16 and 17 in terms of the number of uh, M&A deals that were consummated, uh, to see it jump back up to, to 19 deals is really, it's really exciting. And, and, and actually Q3 was really the driver because there were nine M&As just in Q3 alone, um, which brought this, uh, yeah, brought this year from at mid-year, which was ho-hum, I'm hoping that we're going to see some good activity to, wow, this is a really great year. And I think you know, when we actually delve into the, the deal sizes and the median upfronts in the M&A side, it's actually been the, the best that we've seen since we really started tracking this in 2013, at least for this cycle. We've had the, we have the highest median upfront value on those transactions, which is at $190 million. So I think you know, we're excited to to see all that activity. And then if you balance that against all these late stage financings that we're seeing that are either set up for IPO or, or M&A, I think we have a really nice pipeline of, of 
you know, quote unquote exits in the next couple of years. And the final uh, area I want to talk about is just your uh, your look at the exits by um, regulatory path. So you've got a, a, a table here that charting over the past, well, 2015, 2018 exits of 510K M&As, de novo 510K M&As, PMA M&As, and just sort of comparing the uh, – the the median time to exit, the, the returns that are generated by the exits, really a great analysis. Uh, and you even compare it to biofarm M&As, which is an interesting, uh, an interesting uh, sort of barometer. But look, what is your, your takeaway? I mean, if you look at this, at least I'm looking at this, it's, if you look at PMA M&As, you exit them the quickest, just over six years, 6.1 years. And you're getting a medium upfront multiple of, of four, which is not as high as de novo M&A's, de novo M&A's, but, but much higher than 510K M&A's. So it's just an interesting comparison of the, of the, the three different paths. And I know I'm going over all these numbers, but what was your takeaway? Did anything change in 2018 to, uh, to, to change how, uh, how each regulatory path is performing? One thing that really sort of came to us in a little bit of a more uh, clear way was the emergence of these de novo 510K exits, because really, there's only one of those in 2017. There were another three in 2018. I had combined PMA and de novo 510K into one category because I sort of kept it as the clinical trial sort of pathway versus the non, non-clinical trial pathway of 510K. Um, but what was interesting is when you actually separated those two out, the de novo 510K sort of behaved a little bit like both 510K and PMA. And it behaved like 510K because it felt, it seems as though at least for the first four exits, you need to get that FDA approval and commercialization round to ramp revenue before you get to exit. Um, so the time to exit ends up being a little bit more extended than what we see on the PMA side. But you know, the dollar values of these deals at exits were were quite good with a $360 million median upfront value uh, for the de novo 510k exits. Again, it's a small sample size of only four deals. But I think what it does is it shows that, you know, if you have a um, innovative device, innovative enough that it requires clinical trials, um, and but you can prove that you can get some revenue ramp, um, the, the dollar exit values have been really, really good. And so it's kind of interesting. We'll see if that actually makes people think twice on the PMA side. You know, do you want to exit prior to FDA approval or is it worth it to double down and raise a significant amount of additional capital and try and ramp your revenue and potentially get to a bigger exit? Um, we'll see if that, if that actually has an effect on how people think about PMAs. But for the PMA side, you know, just to see that you get those much faster returns uh, and and better than you than you get the, from the 510k exits in terms of the upfront medians, um, it has always been a very interesting point to me because it's really counter to what intuitively you would think. You would think on the PMA is the more risky device, and you definitely need to get FDA approval before the big guys want to acquire you. But that's not sort of what we found at all. And on the other hand, you would think, okay, 510K, oh, it's really interesting. You could just sort of drop it into your 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 bag of tricks as a big acquirer. Yet, you know, the acquirers have stand, stood back and said, no, we want to prove that one, you get approval, two, you can ramp revenue and get close to being accredited before we buy you. 
um, which is sort of counter to what you would expect uh, if you were to look at it just as, um, you know, as, as a, as a less risky opportunity. So um, a couple of interesting things on this area. So we'll definitely be um, continuing to monitor the DeNovo 510K side and sort of see if that trend continues. Um, but as of now, again, we're, we're really excited about where the exit environment is because right now it, it, it feels like, you know, it, an increase in investment in the sector is being matched by an increase in exits. And that's always a good thing. Excellent. Well, I'll, I'll let folks uh, find out the rest themselves. I'm reading as you're, you're talking, and I could ask you a dozen more questions, but this sounds like a good place to uh, to end. Just uh, to put you on the spot a bit, what uh, what do you think you'll be reporting? What will we be talking about on this podcast a year from now? Uh, what any what, what kind of surprises or developments are you perhaps projecting after uh, reviewing the data from 2018? What are we going to see in MedTech in 2019? Um, obviously, that's that's a great question, Tom, and uh, putting me on the spot. I think I I feel like when you look at the the later stage financings that we've seen at, at pretty pretty interesting valuations, I think there's there's room for some some great exits this year. I will be just really intrigued to see if maybe if as you were talking about the the J and J and Oris conversation, you know, if some of these surgical robotics companies end up if if some acquirers make some plays for these companies that are sort of these these companies are fairly early in development stage or uh and that would that could really spell an interesting time for the device sector because it would seem as though other folks would look to scoop in and make their claim in that area too. So that could be a really intriguing big dollar amount area. But I also think that there's a there's a, a number of companies that are that are primed for the IPO uh, market. You know, if the SEC opens back up and and uh, and the market is willing, um, I think it's uh, that I, I you know with eight IPOs last year, it wouldn't surprise me to see a similar number of IPOs, and it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me to see a similar number of M and A. I feel like you know we're at a at a, at an area now where you know innovation has has again become a um, an interesting buzzword for the big acquirers. I think, you know, my one cautionary tale is, you know, with Boston, you know, potentially having a big acquisition themselves, you know, does that spell a slowdown from their side? And on the other note, you know, where, where's Medtronic and Abbott? Are they, are they going to get back in the game? Um, and I think it could be really intriguing to see, you know, we did see four oncology based exits in the device sector and whether that becomes a really intriguing sector because we continue to see investment in that area as well. So um, I'm excited about where things are going to go in 2019. I feel like on the investment side, it's going to be pretty stable. Um, on the exit side, it feels stable as well. But that's always been sort of a, the sense on the device side, which you know has done well for the, the stalwart uh, investors that continue to invest in the sector decade over decade. You've seen you know, folks like NEA continue to do well and get a number of exits in that arena. Um, so I'm I'm pretty excited about what 2019 is going to bring. Excellent. Well, it's a again a great report. Thanks for uh, thanks for doing that, and thanks for appearing on the podcast and uh, giving us an update. And we look forward to to seeing you on May 30th at the MedTech conference. Yeah, me too. Anytime, Tom. Thanks. Well, that is a wrap. Thanks so much for joining us on the MedTech Talk podcast. Please do download that report from SVB. It's very interesting. You can find it on our MedTech Conference website. Look for the URL under the podcast page. I'm sure you can go to the Google machine and find it there as well. Regarding the MedTech Talk podcast, please do me a few favors, would you? 
go to iTunes, give us a ranking. Please subscribe. If you're not subscribing, please do tell your friends. All this stuff helps more people find their way to the podcast and uh, the numbers go up. We're very grateful, but uh, we'd love to have even more people listening. Finally, you can reach out to me. I am on Twitter at MedTechTom or you can email me. My email is Tom at healthagy.com. That's the word health followed by the letters E-G-Y.com. Healthagy is the producer of the MedTech Talk podcast and the MedTech Conference, which is happening on May 30th in Minneapolis. Finally, as I mentioned at top, our uh, discount rate is expiring on January 30th. Use that and our MedTech Talk code and you will get in for $7.95. It's a great deal. Love to see some new faces in the audience and uh, I'm really looking forward to a day with uh, Kevin Lobo, Ashley McAvoy, and many, many other leaders in MedTech. So please do join us. Go to MedTechConference.com to register right away. <laughs>